Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 126 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Spicy. My husband Dylan's the sound recordist. The spiciest. <sighs> oh, it's back. The competition is back. See, every once in a while I try something new to try to switch it up, and then he inevitably, if I say anything other than a boring hey or yo, he uh, he comes back with his one-upmanship. Because I try stuff that's newer. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, hello. Happy recording time. Um, Want to know a piece of news? Yes, always. Mm. Uh, I'm still thinking. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew you could just you get to hang up. <laughs> yeah, okay. I want some news. <laughs> a company has created a book that will not be set on fire. What's the word? Flame retardant? What? Inflammable. Inflammable? <laughs> anyway. Bailey, that original phrasing was wild. A book that will not be set on fire. <laughs> it refuses to be set on fire. And it is dun, 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 The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. And there's a very cool video of Margaret Atwood like trying mm-hmm. to set it on fire, um, which I thought was very cool. However, now that I'm saying it, why wasn't it Fahrenheit 451? Fahrenheit 451, they made an extra flammable edition that it sets on fire on its own. Because it's a pleasure to burn. What? No. (laughs) (laughs) In a world of misinformation, sometimes Dylan is the problem. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, Dylan sent this video out to the text thread. um, And I have to say, I really enjoyed uh, Margaret Atwood's kind of like power stance. She settled back, one elbow back with a flamethrower, just really trying to burn the copy of her own book that they have assured her won't burn. How much do you want to bet that that's her own personal flamethrower? That's what her first purchase was with her Hulu money. (laughs) That book will not burn, though. Guys, there's a fireproof edition of Ray Badbury's Fahrenheit 451 from the 50s, from 1953. Okay. Mm. And it's a very rare limited edition because it's made out of asbestos. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, so that's the future of books. Asbestos. (laughs) Just as dangerous in a different way. Wow. (laughs) The more you know. Um, In other news... Toby has a big announcement about our podcast. I do. I do. Have you, Pedro, ever sat there enjoying the to-read list and wondering, man, isn't there a way that I could enjoy this that is less convenient? I hate pausing and listening to this at my own pace. Yeah. Wonder no more, Pedro's, because I, Toby, have brought this podcast to internet radio. Basically, I wanted to get involved in the community up here. There's a local community internet radio station called Humboldt Hot Air. Um, You can access it at humboldthotair.org and if you access that website uh, every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, well, you'll hear an extra bit of audio, which is about a minute at the beginning of the episode <laughs> and about three minutes at the end of me introing the episode and then outroing it. So if you really want to be a completionist, you know, and you're probably part of our audience is a real big completionists. If you want a hundred percent the to read list, you just got to catch it every week when I will be playing the new episodes when they come out and then diving into our archive and playing old episodes on our off weeks. Is it weird? that my immediate thought was, oh, I have to I have to listen to that so I can be a completionist. Yeah. As soon as I made the joke about completionists, I was like, oh, wait, there probably are. What? Well, this is too meta probably because it's going to be on the radio. But are you just like commentarying like at the end and being like, you know, Bailey was wrong and I was right? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of spicy alternate takes, a lot of denigration of my co-hosts. Oh, great. Is it going to be like, um, who's his face, Robert Osborne on Turner Classic Movies, where you introduce each episode, where it's like, ah, yes, the 2019 episode of To Relist, an instant classic, full of thrilling suspense. <laughs> I was wearing a sweaty t-shirt when I recorded this one, right there in Dylan and Bailey's living room. 
no, I will. I will play you when I have the time. Maybe one song that I like. I mean, Pedro's. How can you resist? Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for putting us on the radio. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Toby. I can't think of a better illustration of our differences in that you sought out community in your new location, whereas I am terrified of all new people and have not met a single person in my new town. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, if there's any place in the world that I guarantee has a internet-based community radio station, it's Woodstock, New York. (laughs) I tune into 100.1 Woodstock Radio, but it's a terrestrial. Andrew, you have befriended some deer, right? Local deer? Yeah, some deer, a fox. Hey, I bet they have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This Week in Grains. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Does anybody have any shame? Let's get it out there. Let's just be open about it, people. Let's not lie. (laughs) No lying. I don't have any shame. shame. (laughs) Okay, well. So, Bailey, it seems like you're disappointed that no one else has shame. Well, I'm right now, you know, I made my vow that I wouldn't get any books before my birthday. And my birthday is what, like four weeks away. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel like I can make it. Also, you might be physically too busy reading other books to buy new books. That's fair. But I will say a story that's kind of shameful. It would be fantastic if Bailey's story has nothing to do with reading. And she's like, yeah, I keyed somebody's car the other day. I just I just did it. I felt a bump and I just kept driving. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, no, this this does have to do with reading. I brought Maggie, our child, to um, Barnes and Noble. Okay, dangerous activity for someone who has sworn not to buy books for yes. the next four or five weeks. But the good thing about Barnes and Noble, like normally we go to the indie stores, but this one has a really big children's section that's separate from everything else. So like it's good in that mm. I am not tempted, me Bailey, but Maggie is oh, very okay. tempted. But what she does is she goes and she picks books that she knows that she already has from her house and she carries around mm. not one, but like five of them. And I can see because in this case, I was the only one there except for the two like people working there. Um, and they were kind of watching me very intently and Maggie to make sure she didn't eat the book. Anyway, this is the story is that she picked up a book called like Blue's Clues Colors, Colors with Blue's Clues, right? And it was like, fine, mm-hmm. not that great. Wasn't probably going to get it. But then she ripped a page and uh. and then I was like, oh, I guess I have to buy it. But then I closed the book and it was ripped on the front. And I was like, Oh, I guess it's already ripped. I don't have to buy it. And at that moment, the bookstore person walked by. And so then I bought it. That's the story. Oh, okay. So uh, you gave in. That's not shameful. <laughs> well, it's shameful in that you didn't stick to your principles. Uh, that's called doing the right. Well, is it doing the right thing? I was going to say, what would you guys Bar- do? I'd say eat it, Barnes and Noble. And I'd throw the book across the room. <laughs> what would I do if my son was in a bookstore crying all <laughs> on the bookstore floor uh, on the bookstore floor because he's hungry for some books but the only book he can eat is a little john clausen in it and it anyway that's not a very good story <laughs> but that basically all this to say is i don't have any shame this week and i'm sorry pages i'm working on it i like how you still tried to find shame which is maybe yeah. indicative of our mindset as a, as a group <laughs> you could have used maggie for an excuse where it's like i didn't buy any books but maggie bought books she just really loves this new jennifer egan and like you know <laughs> She's been really into the Court of Thorn and Roses. <laughs> well, Toby, I am so excited this week because I got a little preview of your rating of this book. Um, so I heard that you read a book this week and you have some strong feelings. Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I read... Oh, wait, there's someone at the door. It's me from the future. <laughs> um, I read The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey Neffenegger. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, every once in a while it still works. Thanks, Dylan. 
All right, so here's my logline. I'll jump right into it. The Time Traveler's Wife, Audrey Niffenegger's tale of a man tossed about through time against his will and the woman who loves him, is a fairly straightforward romantic drama made complicated by the dubious circumstances under which the connection between the main characters comes into being. That's fair. Dubious. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like it now where I throw a little bit of a hint of my opinion into the logline. So there you go. It is tipping your hat a little bit. But um, we do want to give a shout out to Pedro Evan, who suggested this book when we were looking for romance novels for Toby to read. Evan, we like you no matter what Toby thought of the book. Evan? Evan? <laughs> okay, Evan. <laughs> Anyway, so I'll just give you a quick plot summary. Henry, uh, one of the main characters, is a man who travels through time against his will. It just kind of happens. It's usually, it's unpredictable. It's usually triggered by moments of stress. Um, Also, it happens whenever the plot needs it to happen. Um, And he either travels, he either travels to places that he knows and has like an emotional connection to, or just kind of random, apparently incredibly violent and dangerous places. Um, And the only time, the only thing that decides that is again whether the plot needs it to happen there is in this it can get a little confusing but if you think about it this way there is one henry who is living his life in a linear fashion through time and when he travels he kind of travels as a copy of himself so if he happens to travel somewhere um close to where he lives he can visit himself and he does this often so he interacts with himself throughout the book so the plot largely has to do with him visiting and interacting with Claire, the woman who is destined, question mark, to be his wife. Uh, he visits her at various points in her life, and they end up having a life together, and it's very complicated. And that is this book. Well, but Toby, surely this is a not complicated romance. So he probably mm-hmm. meets her when she's like age appropriate for him, right? Wow, I'm so glad you asked, Bailey. Um, <laughs> I, I really had a lot of thoughts about this book, and I, I wanted to, like, intro my thoughts in the way, and it was a great way of doing that is thinking about the cover of this book, which I have seen many times. This is a very popular book. It's been made into a movie. It's being made into a new show. Uh, so I've seen the cover of this book, and I think my mind blanked out the kind of facts on the cover of this book that are apparent. So if you've ever seen the cover of this book, it is basically a shot from the waist down of what is clearly a little girl um, wearing a dress, and she has those little strappy shoes on, and she is standing in some grass in a field next to a pile of what is very clearly an adult man's clothes, like giant shoes and a man's shirt. And I saw this cover over and over in my life, and I, I must have had some kind of version of the thought well, surely they don't meet when she's a child, right? <laughs> like, that would be insane. That would be so crazy. Like, maybe this is like one poignant scene in the book. Like, he gets to see her when she's a child, and that's cool and interesting. No. That is, um, it is my burden, Pedro's. It is my dread task. If you have not read this book to inform you that, yes, the book and their romance does start when she is a whopping six years old, and is visited by him in his 30s and 40s over and over. Oh, and he appears naked whenever he time travels. <laughs> the clothes can't time travel. No, of course They'd not. They'd be out of style. So, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, so I took a look at reviews as I grew increasingly more dismayed with it. And I think people who reviewed this book fall squarely into two camps. Either you have a serious problem with the fact that Henry visits Claire over and over and over again when she was a, is a young child, um, or you don't have a problem with that at all. And it's so amazing to see the reviews next to each other because they really do, they're between like two and five stars. If you don't see a problem with him visiting her over and over when she's a child, people love this book. Um, And if you do have a problem with that, then 
you don't like this book. Um, I, in order to prep for the podcast, looked up my old Goodreads score. No spoilers on what Toby's going to give it. Sounds like he loves it. Maybe it'll be five stars. But I Mm -hmm. gave it two stars. And my major critique, it's that he meets her when she's so young, but also she doesn't get any agency sort of in choosing who her husband is. Well, that's, I mean, that is kind of the second half of my problem with him meeting her so young is that he not only meets her, he basically from the outset, from when she's very young, says, oh, we're getting married. Like in the future, we're, we like, we love each other so much. We have an amazing romance and you love me so much and we're destined to be together and that's that. And so she unsurprisingly grows up completely convinced that this man is going to be her husband. She has a great difficulty dating or being interested in any other person on the planet. And it, it's just so clearly a wrong sounding premise to me that it, I just, my jaw was open the whole time. So yeah, that's my... That's the big, big issue is grooming. Uh, It's really uh, upsetting because there's so many scenes of Claire being like deeply physically attracted to Henry when she is like 15, 16, maybe 14. And he's like in his 40s and he's like, oh, I must resist you, but we'll kind of smooch and stuff. So don't worry about it. It's rough, guys. It's rough. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll start out with my elves. (laughs) Um, my elves for this book, uh, there are some interesting sections, mostly when she's addressing the complexities of time travel and when Henry kind of interacts with himself. Those kind of sections have like an interesting self-reflective quality. Henry does some wild things with himself that I can't really speak about um, on a family-friendly podcast, but are very interesting choices and I enjoyed them. And basically, I I really enjoy those kind of practical aspects of time travel and Henry's scenes with himself. I thought those were cool. Neffenegger also has the confidence to say, this is how time travel works in my universe, and I'm not going to explain any more of it. And I really appreciate that. I hate when books try to over-explain impossible things. Neffenegger just says this is how it works, and and I I appreciated that. It's also very beach reedy. It's easy to see that by now in my review, I did not enjoy this book, and yet I sped through it. Very, uh, Very fast, very readable. Cool, cool. That's it. Those are my elves. <laughs> Five stars. Five stars. Uh-huh. Um, so now onto my orcs. Um, in, a, in a weird twist of fate, not only does Henry groom Claire, she kind of grooms him too because it's very complicated, but just take it as a guarantee that when she meets him, he's eight years older than her in quote unquote real time. When she meets him and she's about 19 or 20 and he's in his late 20s, due to the vicissitudes of time travel, he doesn't know anything about her. So she kind of explodes into his life and she's the one saying, I'm, you know, we're destined to be together. We're going to be together forever. And, and this has already happened, you know. So it's it's not even that great of a love story because you wonder if they would have even got together. They're just kind of like very open to this person exploding into their life and being like, we're together in the future. Don't worry about it. There are also insane shifts in tone. Like there is a like, you know, for the first quarter of the book, it's this bizarre romantic drama with this time travel element. Um, but it's pretty light and fun and, and it's trying to be kind of sexy. And then there's a scene where Claire tries to go out with one other man who assaults her in a really disturbing and ultra hyper violent way that they describe a lot. And then she and Henry, the old Henry, 
basically kidnap this dude, take him out to the woods and duct tape him to a tree and abuse him right back. So it's like, imagine if you were watching, like, I don't even know, like Notting Hill, but then they were like, all right, in this next scene, we kidnap a guy and beat the crap out of him. In this next scene, revenge. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then there's um, Henry's mother. He has a tragic backstory. She dies. Um, and we end up seeing the scene in which she dies. And it is the most hilariously over the top. All I will say is I texted Bailey and when it happened and I said, no way did Henry's mom get final destination. <laughs> uh, she fell into some bees. Exactly. Um, anyway, so those, those shifts in tone come really out of nowhere. The a bigger kind of less fun critique is that in the second half of the book, there's not too many conflicts that come directly from time travel, really. Like there are some complications, like they end up wanting to have a kid and it's hard to do because Henry's condition makes it difficult. But like that, I guess, is connected to time travel, but not really. Like it's not like, oh, he causes problems in the past that follow him into the future or fun stuff like that. It's a pretty normal romantic drama situation that could honestly be exactly the same if you remove the time travel element. I mean, do they ever fight back against destiny? Isn't that mostly the no. confidence of these kind of stuff? No. No, they they embrace it. They embrace it to an absurd degree. There is some kind of lip service about determinism, and they try and argue about that, but it doesn't last very long. Well, I guess then in the far superior Time Traveler's Wife movie, they do address that. Dylan loves the Time Traveler's Wife movie. I, I mean, I'm going to watch it. It's surprisingly better than you think. Uh, there was some like Caltech physicist talking about the most accurate depictions of time travel, and they said Primer and Time Traveler's Wife are the most like accurate ways of how time travel can be portrayed. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I said saying accurate about time travel is a little funny. Yeah, like, true. That's yeah. how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how the machine works down at the base. I mean, oh, crap. Oh, whoops. <laughs> that's why I'm naked all the time. Um, uh, the, the rest of these are just nitpicks, so I'm not going to do all of them. But I will nitpick it a little bit. Um, not to be too much of a snob, but one of the things that's supposed to make them punk rockers is that they go to a Violent Femmes concert and listen to the most popular Violent Femmes song ever. And that like gives them punk rock credentials, which is insane. And then I will say uh, another big, and this will be my last orc. There were many little quibbles that I had with this book, but my last big orc is that the characters in this are are really rough. They're they're both unbelievably pretentious in the most boring way possible. A specific example that I picked was that Claire is giving birth as she's in the middle of the most painful and stressful experience of her life. She asks Henry to do something to calm her down, and Henry starts reciting a Rilke poem to her, the, the German poet Rilke, right? But he's so flustered, guys. He's so flustered and he's so smart. He forgets and he starts reciting it in German, the original German. And she has to remind him, please say it in English. Okay. I also wish that she would have gotten permission before she quoted my life. <laughs> So there's, there's a lot of stuff like that where you're like, oh boy, that's rough. I will say, honestly, you can tell I did not care for this book. And I was frequently shouting things out loud in my apartment as I was reading the audiobook. Um, but I did kind of end up taking a perverse joy in reading it. Um, it's almost like one of those so bad it's good movies. But the, the experience doesn't really translate because a movie is you know, two and a half hours at the most. And this was much longer than that. And The Time Traveler's Wife is a so good, it's good movie. <laughs> wow, I'm really going to check it out. I'm very curious. So I have to go to a land that I haven't been um, since our, our friend, Mr. Barker, took us there. It's One Starville. <gasps> 
I found this book absurd and infuriating. I found the romance disturbing and upsetting. And there is a there is a quote unquote like tearjerker of an ending that I found kind of cheap and and just like not very well done. And then the worst thing of all is that I actually think this is a pretty interesting idea, um, a romance with a person who has these kind of struggles, but the choices made throughout just like fail to deliver on that idea, that promise. So yeah, I hate to say it, Time Traveler's Wife, one star. Oh no. Not keeping it on my shelf. Oh no. Oh no. Anyway, Andrew, can you tell us like <laughs> how great this woman is and like what charities she's established and all this stuff so I can feel <laughs> terrible? She's my best friend. And <laughs> she got me out of a prison several times. No, um, I do have some facts. Um, I have one very positive thing to start out with, which is that she has the best bio ever written on her website. Ooh. It's very clear. It doesn't shy away in terms of like giving just a few details like they often do. So in honor of that, I'm going to read her bio direct from her website. Here we go. Let me just get into my Audrey space. Feed me seem different, Audrey. Um, I was born in South Haven, Michigan, grew up in Evanston, Illinois, and now live in Chicago with frequent visits to London. I am married to the artist and writer, Eddie Campbell. There you go. Very clear. Thank you. These are the things people want to know. I began making prints in 1978 under the tutelage of William Wimmer. I trained as a visual artist at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and received my MFA from Northwestern's University's Department of Art Theory and Practice in 1991. This feels like a riddle. You're absolutely right, Andrew. It sounds like I'm going to follow it up with, the answer is time. (laughs) Or is it ice? (laughs) It's that she was standing on a block of ice. Um, I've exhibited my artist's books, prints, paintings, drawings, and comics at Printworks Gallery in Chicago since 1987. In 2013, a major mid-career respective of my prints, paintings, and artist book works opened at the National Museum of Women in the Arts in Washington, D.C. Cool. Now we get into a little bit about those books. My first books were printed and bound by hand in edition of 10. Two of those have since been commercially published called The Adventurous and The Three Incestuous Sisters. Ooh. Whoa. Uh, so she makes, for some context, she makes like visual books is what she describes them as that are smaller print that she initially handmade before she um, was more commercially successful. This will shock our listeners, but that was one of my passions in, in college. Artist book <laughs> Shocking. Honestly, that's why I included it. I thought you would think it was interesting. <laughs> I am interested. I, I was thinking the time traveler's wife might have been like a good concept for an artist book. Well, oh, I'm glad you asked. Ooh. In 1997, I had an idea for a book about a time traveler and his wife. I don't know what book this is going to be, guys. It was called The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> I originally imagined making it as a graphic novel, but eventually realized that it's very difficult to represent sudden time shifts with still images. I began to work on the project as a novel and published The Time Traveler's Wife in 2003 with the independent publisher McAdam and Cage. It was an international bestseller and has been made into a movie. She goes into a little bit here that I'll summarize versus reading it out specifically, but she's uh, maintained her career as a teacher, uh, specifically at Columbia College in Chicago um, at their Center for Book and Paper Arts. Her Fearful Symmetry was published in 2009 by Scribner, and that book is on my to-read list, listeners, so we will see if that comes up. In 2008, I made a serialized graphic novel for the London Guardian called The Night Bookmobile, and in 2013, my illustrated novel Raven Girl was published in conjunction with the Royal Opera House Ballet production of Raven Girl, which was choreographed by Wayne McGregor. So she made a book and made a ballet of it at the same time. She has a cool life. Yeah, right? Here's the kicker, y'all. Currently, I'm working on a sequel to The Time Traveler's Wife. The working title is The Other Husband. 
I am <gasps> also continuing to work on The Chinchilla Girl in Exile, which is a novel that she's been rumored on working on for about 15 years. And she's at work with her husband on a collection of comics adaptations of her stories. Do you know what I can't fault her for? Her titles are amazing. Yeah. The th- I bet The Time Traveler's Wife was so successful because it's right there in the title. Yeah. Well, cool lady. Yeah, cool lady. Um, I have a couple other quick facts from an interview she did with writerunboxed.com. This one's for Toby. Did you ever worry that The Time Traveler's Wife might not fit neatly into any particular shelf in the bookstore? Audrey says, uh, literary fiction is a very broad category, but I worried it would never get published because the title makes it seem like traditional science fiction, and it isn't science fiction enough for fans of that genre. So she's already trying to defend herself from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a question about uh, how long it took her to write The Time Traveler's Wife. I read that it took you four years to write The Time Traveler's Wife. What was your writing process and has it changed? My writing process then was to snatch any scrap of time I could away from teaching and write whatever I'd been mulling over since the last scrap of time. All my life, I've been doing my work in the intervals between making a living and living my life. My process has changed in the past few years because I have even less time than previously because I travel a lot and still teach. Time travel. (laughs) Uh, This is an interesting question, especially hearing about how the book jumps around in tone a little bit. What is your editing process like? How much editing do you do? Or do you layer in foreshadowing and other subtle threads toward the end of the process? My method is writing to finish each section before moving on to the next. It's sort of like making bricks for a wall. Each one has to be completed before it can be used. There's very little retrofitted, but that is not obvious because the book was written out of order, and by the time I wrote the beginning, I'd already written most of the book. She's (laughs) a time traveler. Um, This is a question about sort of the dark side of it. The time traveler's wife was quite dark, in my opinion. A lot of writers wouldn't slash couldn't have taken their characters to such depths of despair. Do you think there has to be a disconnect between what we as writers may want for our characters versus what we need to tell the most compelling story? Audrey says, I'm fairly merciless to my characters. I go with whatever the story needs as long as it is true for the characters. I don't try to force any characters in directions that seem uncharacteristic. And frankly, a happy ending almost always seems artificial. Nice. I would say she's pretty mean to these characters. Well, there you go. I should say uh, in many interviews, she has said that she has never seen the film adaptation and that she never intends to because the characters exist as she likes them in her head. That's so interesting. People say that like, I don't want to see the movie. It'll ruin the book. But what if it were your book? Yeah. Mm. But counterpoint, what if it's Rachel McAdams? What if it's the best film ever made? (laughs) (laughs) The only other thing I had was that her favorite writers include friends of the podcast, Martin Amos and David Mitchell, and then Henry James and Donna Tartt. And I know Donna Tartt appears on both Bailey and I's to read this, so maybe she'll join the party at some point. Maybe Toby can give her a bad review, too. (laughs) Hey, I like Donna Tartt. I like her a lot. Um, I will just say very quickly, as I often do when I don't like a book, um, if you like this book... I, I, I like you. It, there's no, uh, I don't I don't mean to be mean spirited or anything like that. I hope it is taken in the in the way it was intended, which is kind of in good fun. Um, I can see there are lots of things to like about this book. And I always feel guilty um, a little bit after after reviewing it poorly. So forgive me. You weren't as mean as you were to Clive. That's true. Yeah, Clive, Clive was even rougher. <laughs> uh, and I should say, I haven't read this book. So Audrey, if you're listening, I still like you. <laughs> hey, I like Audrey and she sounds cool <laughs> as heck. <laughs> More power to her. And that's the Time Teller's Wife. One star. Sorry. Um, Bailey. Yeah. And speaking of, of men coming through time at you. <laughs> um, <laughs> men coming through time at you. <laughs> so, Bailey, speaking yeah. of uh, men in fantasy, have you ever found a man of your dreams? And specifically, did you find one this week? That was a really oh. good transition, Andrew. Yes. Yes, I did. It was hard. <laughs> uh I read a book. I read the book 
The Man of My Dreams by Curtis Sittenfeld. I don't know if this influences everybody's understanding, but Curtis is a woman, the person writing this book, just so everyone knows. She's writing about a woman. Yeah, it was her mother's last name. Uh, Sorry, I'm eating a brownie. All right. So, um, yes. So I read The Man of My Dreams by Curtis Sittenfeld. I shared last time when this was chosen that I was drawn to this book, both because it was given to me as a gift, but I kept it because I really liked her first book, Prep, Hmm. which is about, you know, a girl growing up. She's like a small town girl, goes to Massachusetts prep school, etc. I really enjoyed the writing and I thought she really understood coming of age and character and dialogue. So I was like, okay, I'll try this one. So this book, The Man of My Dreams, she has said it's not this, but it's kind of like that character (laughs) in Prep grew up a little bit. Well, like she's a little bit older. So it follows a woman named Hannah Gaffiner. It's the story of her relationship with men, starting from when she's 14 and her parents are getting divorced and her dad is pretty much a nightmare. But she's reading, um, you know, Seventeen magazine or all these magazines about like Julia Roberts getting married because this is 1991 Um, or like, you know, these big celebrity weddings and contrasting that with her seeing her parents' relationship. So it starts there, goes through her growing up for the next 14 years, having her first relationships, having crushes, et cetera, to when she's 28 and she feels settled. I don't know. Does she make the man of her dreams? I'm not going to spoil it, but like there's a definitive ending. Okay. So I actually don't have all that much to say about this book. I wrote down some notes. I'm going to share some stuff, but I I was (laughs) sure, I'm sure Toby's review is going to be more interesting in this episode. Here here are the elves of this book. I still think Curtis Siddenfeld's a great writer. I think she understands dialogue really well. She creates characters that are complicated and interesting, like people would call them, quote, unlikable. Um, The main character, Hannah, can be kind of a jerk, but like, that's realistic. There are people that are jerks. Like her assessment of her sister's future husband is, quote, I just don't see him as very special. She says these things that just cut to the bone and you're like, oh, dang, Hannah, that's rude. So it feels very real, this coming of age and complicated and gray, not black or white. That's all good. Yeah. Do I have any other else? Um, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> that would be one elf, not any other. Oh, no. Uh, did I say the dialogue was good? I said that already. Oh, that's true. You did. Okay. That's two elves. Two elves. Um, okay. So orcs. It, I just <laughs> oh. don't have all that much to say about this book because I don't think that the story is there. It feels like this is not a plot. Her relationship with men. It's not like a grand love story. It's just not a reading her resume, but kind of like reading her relationship history. It, it just didn't feel like there was a clear plot. Well, it's funny, Bailey. When you said the description, I was like, surely Bailey is like leaving something out. No, that's the whole thing. The concept of having a man of your dreams, I guess, is the plot, but that's not a plot. And I don't think that this would have been published were it not for prep and the success of prep. Because I just don't think there's a lot of there there. I think that she probably maybe had been working on this before and it was something she had in her closet and she wanted to capitalize on the success of prep. But at the end of the day, there's not much to this. And I don't think it's really worth your time. I'm sorry. Wow, we are spicy this week. I know. Man, who put paprika in our lemonade, huh? I know, right? Um, But I want to say something nice about it. It has a nice cover. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. no. The lighting was really good. The program's really easy to read. <laughs> <laughs> she chose a good font. I liked I liked the character of her cousin, Fig. She has a cousin named Fig who is like <laughs> fun and sex positive, and she's interesting. 
that's something I liked. It sounds like you're making fig up. It's real. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow the phrase, I liked fig or I liked the cousin fig came off like colder and more cruel than my entire review. I liked the character named Lamp. No, fig, fig, fig. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm being overly harsh. I want to say that although this book is a two star for me, I'm sorry, Curtis Sinfeld. I really did like prep. I have heard great things about a lot of her more recent books. And I have her book Rodham on the shelf, which is sort of a imagining mm-hmm. of what if Hillary had not married Bill Clinton. And I hear great things about that. I'm excited to read it. For me, this was just a miss. And I think that there's a reason, like if you look on Goodreads, this one doesn't have as many ratings because people don't pick it up. And it was not the book of my dreams. And I'm going to put it in the free, little free library. But I'm sorry, Curtis. And I don't know. I'm sorry. I liked Fig. That was a very quick review, but if you have any questions or facts, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel you. I, I can understand that rating because not much is more frustrating than a book being just there enough for you to kind of tag along and hope that something happens. Yeah. But then it never materializes. That is a frustrating reading experience. And the writing is not bad. Like, it's not like a one yeah. star. It's like, OK, maybe this will. For both of you, would you guys have DNF'd it if it wasn't for the podcast? Oh, yeah. I would have DNF'd it in the first, like, two chapters, I think. For this one, I wouldn't have. I was like, well, you know, maybe something will happen. So that's maybe why it's two versus one star. <laughs> also, your personality-wise, too, where it's like, oh, this book is terrible and everything. But I have to finish. It's it's more like reading a blog or something versus a book. Where's the narrative structure? That's what I think. Fair. Do you think you would have rated it more highly had you not read Prep and, like, known that she could be better or do you think that it would that that didn't factor it in or did you keep going because of that i think i kept going because of prep but i do Mm -hmm. think the most even with that i would have ever rated it would have been a three word billy do you also think you kept going because you're required to finish it for a podcast also it was my assigned reading and i had to finish it i mean there's no need to stretch it out sounds like you didn't enjoy the the book that's fine. In the back, it has discussion questions for your book club. <laughs> that leads well to the facts, because one of the websites I found about this book, it wasn't an interview. It was literally just a woman who like writes recaps of her book club. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, Stephanie didn't like this book. Uh, <laughs> Beth thought that the crab dip was good this week, and I don't think she read it. <laughs> can, can we book Stephanie for the podcast? I would love it. Um, Andrew, I mean, that's that's a heck of a segue. Tell us the research you've done on this author. And this book club. All right. Some facts about Curtis Sittenfeld. Curtis Sittenfeld was born on August 23rd, 1975 in Cincinnati, Ohio, to parents Betsy Curtis, an art history teacher slash librarian, and Paul George Sittenfeld, an investment advisor. Um, She would go on to attend the Groton School, a boarding school in Massachusetts, and win 17 Magazine's fiction writing contest while still in high school. Now, I have some bad facts to share about Curtis. Uh-oh. And by that, I mean one oh. bad fact. And that, I mean, everyone makes the right decision for them. But she attended Vassar College before <gasps> spitting oh. on me and my memory and transferring to some crap box called Stanford to finish a <laughs> bachelor's degree. Your <laughs> mascot is a tree. Come on. I mean, ours is a brewer, so it's not much better. Would you rather hang out with a tree or a brewer? Uh, uh. Tree. Or a corn husker because she received her MFA in fiction from Iowa University. Oh, oh wait, no, that's Nebraska. Yeah, they're the Hawkeyes, right? Or Hawkeye. Hawkeye the Avenger? Yeah, Jeremy Renner's their official mascot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a hawk. 
Um, so yeah, she went on to attend the writer's workshop at Iowa. And then in 2005, she published her debut novel, Prep, which was very, very well received. Uh, she gained a lot of positive attention from this. And she would want me to say that she regrets that people assumed the tale was more autobiographical than it actually was because she did go mm. to a Massachusetts prep school, but she says it was not autobiographical. The character's from Indiana and I'm from Cincinnati. <laughs> different states <laughs> we can believe curtis or not here it's up to you you've already given her a bad review oh sorry i'll, I'll shut up sorry curtis <laughs> <laughs> though you may one of your theories might have been correct prep was quickly followed up with the man of my dreams and by quickly i mean it was published in 2006 so like a year after prep hmm. 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 sounds like she didn't do enough prep for the next <laughs> book uh, and I think like the prevailing insight on this book is basically what Bailey said. This was less rapturously received from Prep, and the reviews I was reading of it were all like, you know, she's a good writer, but it just wasn't as good as Prep. Preach, man. Preach. Preach, Stephanie from Book Club. <laughs> uh, she has published five more books since uh, The Man of My Dreams. Um, American Wife, a novel featuring a clear analog for Laura Bush. Hmm. Sisterland, a book about twins with powers. Eligible, a modern Cincinnati Pride and Prejudice retelling. Uh, you Think It, I'll Say It, a collection of short stories, um, which was one of Reese's book club picks when it came out. And Rodham, most recently in 2020, which was quite buzzy and dealt, as Bailey said, in an alternate history of Hillary Clinton. Sweet. Beyond all of these awesome facts and accomplishments, uh, she cites her greatest accomplishment as being a Jeopardy answer four times. <gasps> four cool. separate times. Her, her website also very good. Um, <laughs> her bio's lacking, but then there's links to all these things like that we would look up. Like there's a link, and we'll get into it in a second. There's like a link to my writing influences, my writing process, things like that. So it was really easy to find like all the things we look for. Um, she's married to Matt Carlson and has two daughters. On a less savory note, but let's not judge Curtis about this. Her brother, P.G. Sittenfeld, was a former candidate for the U.S. Senate in Ohio. Ohio, but was recently arrested under bribery and corruption charges while running for mayor of Cincinnati. So the last couple things I wanted to bring in about my friend Curtis, I don't know what Bailey thinks about her. I have two quick facts. Uh, one is from a unattributed interview in the New York Times book magazine. And the next is from an interview on NPR by Melody Joy Kramer. Uh, I wanted to bring those two in to give you a little more uh, info about her process as a writer and some things about her from her own words. This is from the New York Times, and I really like this answer. Do you have a favorite childhood literary character or hero? Curtis says, I've always strongly identified with Toad from Frog and Toad, especially in the story where he won't get out of the river because he doesn't want anyone to see him looking funny in his bathing suit and thereby attracts the attention of nearby lizards, dragonflies, field mice, etc. He's so completely ridiculously the instigator of his own problems. That is the best answer I think I've ever heard. (laughs) Here's another one. Disappointing, overrated, and just not good. What book did you feel you were supposed to like and didn't? Do you remember the last book you put down without finishing? The Time Traveler's Wife. (laughs) Curtis says, I find the little engine that could almost unreadable, repetitive, wordy, heavy handed, though I live with two children who don't share my opinion. It is. It is kind of repetitive. Here's the thing. It's very... I mean, but that's a... As Toby... It's a children's... No, the, parents, but, the parents are talking. Shut up, Dylan. But you need to reread it because it is very repetitive. And if you read it to a kid, it's like slightly... She skips ahead. She turns the pages. Yeah. And the paragraphs are way Man, too long does. for a kid yes. to like understand. And it's like each paragraph... I've been a... Bri- she's been getting the little engine that could abridge. Well, the thing is, is when you think of that book, you just think of I think yeah. I can, which does not happen until like the last page. After four trains. There's a lot of trains that say no. 
We're opinionated about Pejos, this. <laughs> Pejos, if you're like me and you stand the little engine that could, <laughs> like, please send messages to our Instagram of support for the little engine that could. Toby, I dare you to reread the little engine that could. Little engine that could. <laughs> Two stars. <laughs> All right. The last bit I have here uh, is from an interview with Melody Joy Kramer on NPR. First section is titled How She Writes, and this is uh, Curtis talking about that. My goal is to write from 10 to 1 every day. This usually means I get started around 11.15 after checking my email and various websites, but I often write long past 1 eating lunch at 2 or 3. I try not to check my email or answer my phone during this time, though I don't always succeed as this very email shows. (laughs) <laughs> so I think she's great based on my facts. So Bailey, you're yeah, a hater. She sounds cool. Uh, last thing is her writer's block remedy. I don't really believe in it. There are times where I'm not in the mood to write, but I'm wary of romanticizing that. If I'm moderately not in the mood, I'll reread what I've recently written to try to enter the fictional world, and I'll give myself a manageable, very specific assignment, like writing a particular scene. If I'm really not in the mood, I'll edit my earlier work. And if I'm really, really not in the mood, I'll go read fiction by someone else. I don't think it's shameful to admit that some days your time can be better spent reading than writing. Man, this woman knows how to formulate an answer. I'm still thinking about Toad. She's right. <laughs> <laughs> still thinking about the little engine. <laughs> well, those are great facts, Andrew. And you know what? Yeah, good facts. Thank you. Sadly, The Man of My Dreams by Curtis Sittenfeld is only two stars, but her bio and website, five stars. Five stars. Well, I'm excited because this week, Dylan has prepared a special game for us. He is excited about it. It's the gaming. The gaming. <gasps> The gaming. For the gaming, hold on, I have to text this to you guys. And Bailey will give some context here, because obviously we know what the Time Traveler's Wife's about, but what is one element from The Man of My Dreams, Bailey? Well, I did mention that she begins by reading magazines, like popular magazines such as like People and Cosmo and Seventeen. And doing a lot of what? Quizzes. Yes, personality quizzes. Okay. But basically, since no one reads print anymore, we have to do the new updated (laughs) version, which is a BuzzFeed personality quiz. Yay! I made a BuzzFeed quiz and tried to make it like a 17 finding your perfect husband. Okay. And so you guys are going to take this quiz and I tried to make the answers very vague so that way you can't game the system. Uh At the end of the quiz, you're going to find out which famous time traveler you're going to match up with. We're going to marry? You will be forced to marry. Okay, great. (laughs) Dylan, this is amazing. I didn't realize you made this. I thought you just cannibalized some quiz on a website. Dylan, I don't don't think I'm comfortable taking this quiz. I have a really big red notice up here that says, this post has not been vetted or endorsed by BuzzFeed's editorial (laughs) staff. Here's the thing I'm a little bit edgy about that. I didn't know you could just make a BuzzFeed quiz. Oh, yeah, dude. All right. So the first question is, where did you meet? No, first, the title of this BuzzFeed quiz is the Time Traveler's Husband Quiz. Oh, look, I was rushing, okay? <laughs> and the description is for the To Read List podcast. <laughs> and there's no apostrophe in Travelers. Oh, there's a lot of spelling errors in this, by the way. So heads up. <laughs> Great. All right. So the first question, where did you meet? On a road trip, community service, at work. In school, grew up together, or family friends? Grew up together. That's pretty. Mm. I'm going to say that we met on a road trip. Oh, that's what I was going to say, because I was just on a giant road trip. I'm going to say we met at work. At work? Okay. I'll say on a road trip, too. Cool. Where did you go on your first date? You went out dancing. You looked at family photos. You hung out at your place. (laughs) What? You went on a day trip. You went to the library. You went to a concert. Who looks at family photos as a first date? I don't know. Do I want to pick it because of that? What am I going to have to do to end up with Marty McFly? (laughs) (laughs) 
So this is why I kept it vague, because I knew you guys were going to try to solve it. Well, I'm going to go to the library. I'll say day trip, Dylan. Day trip. I'm going to say we looked at family photos. <laughs> you just want to be with Marty McFly. Andrew, it's, sev- it's the Seventeen Magazine philosophy. You have to follow your heart. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think Andrew's going to end up one of the time bandits from Time Bandits. What is the biggest flaw in your husband? He's too spontaneous. He is too similar to you. He doesn't take things seriously. He is scatterbrained. He is never there. He is too focused on work. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know what the right one for Marty McFly is. I'll say scatterbrained. I'd be with a man who was scatterbrained. I'm going to say he's too spontaneous because I feel like that would be annoying <laughs> if you were a time traveler. That'd be annoying for you. <laughs> I'm going to say he's too similar to you because there is that whole thing with his mom. True. True. Ooh. Now I'm wondering how I get Leopold from Kate and Leopold. (laughs) How do your parents like your husband? They love him. They don't like him. Medium rare. They're polite, but don't really talk. (laughs) They love his parents. He hasn't met them. They fear him. I'm going to pick they fear him. (laughs) Are you picking they fear him, Bailey? Yes. (laughs) What'd you guys pick? Uh, they love him. He's Leopold. He's so charming. Andrew? Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say they love him too. You know what though, Andrew? I think like in the context of that movie, her parents would be like, oh, I don't know about this guy. He's got that edgy jacket, you know, the edgy vest. I don't know if they would love McFly. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. All right. Guys, I, I skipped ahead and I'm really excited about this next The final one. question is. For the record, I changed to he hasn't met them. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Yes, yes. And the final question is, what is their thoughts on having kids? They want a boy, specifically John Connor. (laughs) They'd be an abomination (laughs) of nature. Apparently has a lot of different kids from his past life. Has a vasectomy, but... That's a time traveler's wife reference. (laughs) Doesn't want them even though he hangs around a high schooler all day and would be pretty rad. Um, You know what my answer is. John Connor. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I think doesn't want them, even though he hangs around a high school all day, is going to be Doc Brown. So I'm going to go with would be an abomination yeah, exactly. of nature here. I'll go with rad, Dylan. Rad. I got I got my answer. I got my answer, too. But Andrew, what did you get? I got the Doctor Who. Ah. <laughs> time Lord. Yeah, I'm a Time Lord now. Um, Dylan, was Marty McFly not an option? It was just Doc Brown. So this was all fool's errand. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got the T-100 Terminator. (laughs) Famously loves to go to libraries for dates. (laughs) The description for my future husband is, who doesn't love a man in uniform? (laughs) Oh, yeah. They had me write a description for each one. It's like, I don't have time for this. (laughs) Oh, you, I like, I really like what you wrote for Doctor Who. What'd you write? He, he wrote, I have not seen Doctor Who. Uh, I have not. <laughs> Dylan, the BuzzFeed editorial staff is going to have a field day with your descriptions of these men. <laughs> uh, so I have my result here. Doc Brown. Ooh. There you um, go. A handsome in a, in a flyaway way. He is um, very, what is it, scatterbrained? I can see it. Yeah. Toby, what's his description? Uh, his description just says, great Scott. <laughs> Ooh, dreamy. Which is pretty fantastic. Um, uh, but Dylan, which ones, you know, did we not get? You could have gotten Henry from Time Traveler's Wife. Okay. Well, I'm good without mm-hmm. it. Thank goodness we didn't get that. You could have gotten Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted together. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I had to make like, and it said like, and you have to have a sixth option because you filled out the questions this way. I was like, oh, crap. So I did uh, you from a, uh, the future. Like you're married to yourself nice. from the yes. future? So there was a lot of landmine questions in there that you guys missed, but that was good. The one that was like, you're too similar to yourself? And would have been an abomination of nature, mm. yes. 
Nice. Here's the thing. Bailey and the T-100 would actually be a really good couple. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a plan. He sticks to it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's consistent. Finally, a man who follows through. Am I right? (laughs) Dylan, great game. Yeah, that rocked. Well, Dylan, it's another moment for you to shine. It is time for you to choose books at random from our shelves to read next. It is time for The Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. The T-100 Choosening. Bailey. Yes. I mean, I don't even really have to, you know, say this because it's kind of, it's an open secret. Okay. I mean, we all know that you have number 28. Everyone knows Your Mother is a Witch by Rivka Galchin. Oh, I'm excited. This is cool because Maggie has been continually picking it up off the shelf because she doesn't have a lot of words, but she has the word purple. And this book is purple. And she keeps picking it up. (laughs) That's so cute. Ugh, Toby. Ugh. Uh, of course you would get this book. Uh, you have number 36, Titus Groan by Mervyn Peake. Oh, Groan. Uh, oh, ah. that, one, that, was, that was pretty oh, okay. good. This is, um, this is an, I'm really excited for this one. This is a almost contemporary of Lord of the Rings, uh, a little bit later, but it's kind of like an overlooked classic of the fantasy genre. Um, Mervyn Peake wrote these huge, gigantic fantasy novels that are collectively called Gormenghast. Um, And this has been on my list for a long time. So I'm really excited to read this one. Mervyn? Mervyn. Mervyn. Well, that's great. Okay, so... Um, In two weeks on the podcast, I will be reading Everyone Knows Your Mother is a Witch by Rivka Galchin, and Andrew's reading The Mysteries of Pittsburgh by Michael Chabon. How is it? Is it mysterious? It's uh, full of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Penguins. I haven't started it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List podcast. And if you haven't uh, met the man of your dreams yet, you have a little bit of free time, please head on over to um, your podcast rating app of choice, (laughs) Apple iTunes, and rate us five stars. It really helps um, promote the show. It lets us know that you love us. And if you have even more time, you could write us a little review. We love to read them. Also, if you want to help us find new listeners, and specifically if you have a man who keeps showing up and telling you he's your husband, uh, word of mouth is our best way of finding new listeners. So please get that funky man to Apple Podcasts and get him a downloading <laughs> or whatever future phone or past phone he's bringing. But seriously, word of mouth is our <laughs> best way of finding new listeners. So let someone you know know about us. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Turkey for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books. books.